Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. He was called Cold. That was the name that he was called by. What's going on up there could be the most important event in history. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I said, I hope this is as close to hell as I'll ever get. Hello and welcome to the Tales from the Dark podcast. I'm your host, Bob, here with my co-host, Brittany. Hey guys, what's up? And thanks for joining us for United Strangeness of America. The series where we travel across the U.S. and bring you stories of high strangeness. This week, we're diving into Iowa, the Hawkeye State. What is a Hawkeye? The Eye of a Hawk. Catch up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we, we may not have done an episode in a while of United Strangeness. I, I need you to keep up, okay? <laughs> I thought it would be like Buckeyes, but no, okay. But anyway, Brittany, I don't know if you knew this or not about Iowa. But it's illegal for mustache men to kiss women in public. Well, you're going to have to get on that train, Bob. Okay, I'm reporting you to the police. I have a beard. It's different. You have a mustache and a beard. Okay, prove it. Anyway, for those of you who might be new here, (laughs) Brittany, why don't you explain what this series actually is? Absolutely. So with this series, we'll be visiting each state to find localized stories of high strangeness in three categories, UFO, cryptids, and paranormal. By the end of this series, we want to be able to connect events and creatures from all across the country. Well, Brittany, that's just about perfect. But how can folks get involved in this series? That's, you know, it's a staple in Tales from the Dark. And we haven't missed a single week since we started this series. (laughs) That's a line. You know that. But if you go to Facebook and join the Tales from the Dark group, we will have a biweekly vote starting back up again this week for our listeners to decide the next state that y'all want to hear us cover. The voting starts on Fridays and ends Sunday night. And on Monday, we will have a group post for you to put your own personal stories from that state. Or your favorite. Or your favorite, either way. Uh, And we have to address the elephant in the room here because there's a big one. It's been been a few days since our last United Strangers episode. Just a couple. Let's be honest. (laughs) I want to talk about that and also throw just a quick apology out to all of our listeners in general. So the reason we kind of took a break from United Strangeness is it was feeling very mundane. Like it felt like we were just going through the motions and 
the whole goal behind this series is to draw parallels and to be able to say, okay, well, we had injured cold in the MIB in West Virginia, and they drove this kind of car, and it was this sort of a deal. Well, the same thing happened in, in you know, Des Moines, Iowa, that no one's really connecting because no one's talking to one another. And that was the whole point of the series, and it came to a point where we were just going by the books, going through the motions, and it really wasn't there. So Brittany and I are really going to go out of our way, as, especially as 2023 comes to an end, to do a handful of things. More podcasts in general for you guys. You guys definitely deserve more content. I know you guys want it. You're asking for it. We want to provide it. And then the Tales from the Dark YouTube channel, the thing that got all this started, all the weirdness, I'm kind of bringing it back. We had a video last Sunday on a very bizarre place that I had never heard of, the Beverly Hills Supper Club. Right across the border of Cincinnati, right across the Ohio border, was one of the largest nightclub fires in U.S. history. And I've never heard of this for whatever reason. So I'm going to be covering a ton of cool videos over on the Tales from the Dark YouTube channel. New content. And I think, Brittany, this might be the time for the big announcement for you. We're going to wait on that. We're going to wait on that again. Yeah. I, oh, my goodness. I, I can't. When, when, the, when the revolts start happening. The, the mob is outside the house saying, we want answers. We want answers. That's on you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so the last thing I want to bring up here is uh, Jesse Knox from the Beast of Burden podcast has been a listener for ever, literally forever. And he has been the number one, him and Terrence, uh, you know, I don't, he, I don't, he might have a last name. I don't know. He, ha he doesn't really have a connection to, to this series at all. But Terrence <laughs> over on Patreon has been pushing for United Strangers to come back. Jesse sent us these cool audio clips to help with Iowa back in December. We're finally going to get to use them. So go check out Jesse's podcast. I appreciate the support. I appreciate you guys hanging out and waiting. And let's jump right into paranormal. Let's do it. Okay, before we get going in here, do you know anything about Iowa at all? No. Potatoes. So here's the fun thing. Is maybe I, that's Idaho. I'm for, I think it's Idaho. <laughs> anyway, <potatoes. laughs> someone from Ohio, you know, all I, I get to hear that joke. Oh, Ohio's just farms. Ohio's just farms. Iowa's just farms. Fight me. It's different. Here we have Appalachia. Barely. Okay. Barely. We have more Appalachia than Iowa has. Okay. You're right. You do. So <laughs> that's all I'm saying. You have industry. Yeah, I know nothing about Iowa. I've never been there. No, I have been there. I drove through Des Moines once. Is that like the only city you know in Iowa? Um, I think there's like a Bakersfield, Iowa. Very good. That's that. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's, whole, that's it. That's the whole that's episode, wraps. guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. No. So naturally, every paranormal guru, or if you're in into high strangers, you know, Velisca. Do the Vliska axe murders mean anything to you? No. Okay. So this is one I, I, I didn't want to include this solely because it's more of a true crime case, but over the past, I'd say six to seven years, this true crime case has now created this egregore style haunting in the Vliska axe murder house. Okay. I'm, so I'm not saying that to be like, Oh, I'm trying to be catchy. It's literally, if you look up Vliska axe murder house, I'm going to show you a picture because you can rent this place out. There's a sign in front of the house that literally says in bloody letters, the Velisca Axe Murder House, June 10th, 1912. Jesus Christ. They're not turning away from their history at, at all. all. No. So here's the story. Uh, on the night of June 9th, 1912, an unknown assailant murdered eight members of the Moor instilling her families in their sleep with an axe. The killer was never found. Though George Kelly, a traveling preacher, was tried and acquitted of the crime, 
While the house is empty now, the current owner opened it up for tours, overnight stays, and paranormal investigations. Visitors have reported strange encounters, including vanishing blood trails, feelings of evil presences, presences, unknown green lights, chills, unseen touches, and grossly voices. One of those was like really not like the other one. <laughs> Demonic growls, possession, green lights. <laughs> Excuse me? Sorry? What did you just say? I'm assuming like specter lights and stuff like yeah, that. Or it's just UFOs. It's just way cooler to think it's just like a, a single laser light on the wall. <laughs> and it's just like, it's that's the ghost. The ghost is like. Purposely I, messing with everyone. Well, it works with cats. Why wouldn't it work with people? <laughs> They're just chasing this green light around and it's on ghost YouTube. Oh my gosh. No, what's interesting about the Axe Murder House specifically, again, it's a massive tragedy. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm discussing this strictly the paranormal side. There was a group, um, so Sam and Colby went there and did a, it, it kind of popularized the, the Axe Murder House, and they're also kind of the reason that it costs so much to go there now. Mm. But there was a group who went there on Reddit. This would have been 2020, 2019. And what they did was they had told the history of the house to one of the, the members of their team, right? Yeah. But they told them the wrong history. They said that this, this I think, I'm going to say Todd for the sake of the, the conversation, they convinced this, uh, the investigator that Todd was the one who was tried and acquitted, not the preacher. They ended up getting like some pretty interesting spirit box responses. Granted, you can take those with a grain of salt, but from this Todd character. And they had like essentially. Like they created him yes, in person. Created this in the moment. Book. Yeah. And because the guy, the, the friend that they took with them wasn't really an investigator. Like he was interested in the paranormal, but he wasn't like a, oh, I'm super. Serious he, you about know, he's, it. he's not Zach Bacons, let's be honest. I mean, oh, who, who okay. is everyone, you know, Hail Mary, full of grace, the whole nine. <laughs> but it was really interesting because they they weren't getting any responses, anything really happening that was crazy until they brought up this Todd character. And the second that the guy was afraid of this Todd and the, the expert house. Okay. Yeah. So I thought, I think that's kind of interesting. Whether or not it's true, it's YouTube, you don't really know. But this group, like, they're not your, they're more of a phantom farm approach where it's, this is what we do. This is what happened. This is the history end of discussion. And they wanted to try this like interesting experiment to see, can we influence the building as much as the building influences the investigators? That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. So up next we have independent state hospital. Um, the other thing that's weird about independent state is I've had uh, this picture. I, I'm sure if you look at this, you'll kind of it kind of sprung a memory for me. Somebody had sent this to us years ago and said, Hey, uh, my, my team went there and did a, uh, an investigation. This is in the tales from the dark Facebook group. And they're like, you know, you should definitely go. We had all this crazy stuff happen to us. I put it in the back of my mind. And then all of a sudden I see the photo. I'm like, Holy shit. Is this the one that has the tube? No, no, no. You're thinking about the tunnel. That's Waverly Hills. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, or what do they call it? The death tunnel. That slide. I don't remember what it's called. I think Shane, I think Shane called it the death slide. I don't think that's actually what it's called. Anyway, uh, built in 1873, the independent state hospital was used to hold alcoholics, geriatrics, drug addicts, the mentally ill and the criminally insane. On site, you can see the graveyard, hydrotherapy tubs and lobotomy equipment from the asylum's gruesome and dim past. The old part of the building is neglected due to the large, due to the large amount of paranormal activity. Ghosts of former staff and patients are seen in the buildings and in the grounds. People have been reported to be touched and pushed by unseen forces along with voices, whispers, and laughter. 
Doors open and close on their own, and phantom footsteps are heard. Lights have also been known to flicker on or simply turn off. So what's interesting is if you dive into this a little closer to the maintenance requests, there's one that I was able to find that literally just says spooky. Like reason that they, it couldn't be completed. Spooky. Spooky. I get it. I, I'm here I for I am that, that person. <laughs> because it takes a person that's super honest. Like I'm not doing this because of ghosts. <laughs> You know, and we also talk about the fact we've talked about this before. It's been it's been a long time, but hospitals like this in general, the mental health wave of actually trying to cure and treat mental health has really been a recent development in history. Like they were still doing very horrible things. Yes. Less than 100 years ago. Well, the fact that lobotomy equipment is still able to just be seen there should tell you like everything you need to know about the uh, the state of mental health in, in the U.S. In recent history. Yeah, like in our lifetime. Well, not in our lifetime, but like. In like one person a, ago. A person and a quarter ago, we were just like, hey, there's ghosts in your blood, do cocaine about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, it, seriously, it is a horrible state of, of doc, just doctors in general, uh, uh, the procedures that they did. So. I'm not. I'm surprised there aren't more places like this that are even more haunted. Uh, if we're going off residual energy, because the things yep. that they did were horrible. Well, one day we're gonna have to ask Austin Lawrence about the uh, the TB hospital in Lima. I know he knows a bit more of the history than I do, but in that case, it was such a stain on Lima, Ohio. They built a neighborhood around it to block people away from like seeing it and having that reminder of the negativity that was that tuberculosis hospital. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. So up next, we have the Joker and Monticello. So this one's pretty short. Uh, Monticello is home to the 150-year-old Edinburgh Manor, rumored to be haunted by a ghost named the Joker, a violent spirit known to choke visitors. The manor was once a mental institution where at least 80 people are said to have died and are buried there. Visitors have reported seeing ghostly figures and strange presences. There's a, a theme here, a consistent theme it's mental hospitals. Yeah. Where, again, if, if we are to believe the we're leaving memories, we're leaving imprints on the objects, locations, the locations that we interact with, then that makes perfect sense. Yeah. No, it really does. Okay. So I've got one more and then I'm going to throw it to Jesse to, uh, to kind of change us up on paranormal here. But I, I want to explain this to you. Um, this one's weird. It's the exorcism of Emma Schmidt. We don't talk a little, a lot about exorcisms on this, but, um, this one caught my attention. It's definitely something I've been thinking about getting into more, especially after we just watched The Nun. It's something that I, I really, we actually had this conversation in the movie theater, and I, I want to expand on this after I personally do more research, but I don't think exorcisms existed pre-Christianity. Is that correct? Is that like, in the capacity that we see on film, and the fact that, and, the, and from the documents, the, what little documentation has leaked about them? Yeah, uh, I would say yes. So you have to be very careful um, because the idea of exorcism, exorcism in general can be as simple as like you have an infection and you push the infection out. That could be classified and as an exorcism. And diseases and illnesses yes. were seen as demon-like entities and pre-Christianity. But if you're, if you're talking strictly demonology in its current form, I do believe the Catholic Church kind of coined that term. Um, but again, it, it it's tough because the idea of ghosts and evil spirits came way before the church. 
Right. But the idea of them controlling a living being through the art of possession versus being them pushing someone to do something crazy. I, I want to say you're right, but again, without doing... I have to do some actual, some yeah. more research on that. But anyways, it, just with exorcisms in general, it, it, it's a very interesting con- contrast that we were thinking about when we were watching The Nun. A- absolutely. And it's tough for me because everyone knows my stance on demons. I, I don't need to repeat it here on this episode, but it's tough for me until you start to read some of the reports and you get into the the history of demonology and exorcisms and, and the art and the rite of exorcism through the Catholic church, especially early 1900s. It was like very much hellfire, brimstone, old Testament. It's not really like that now. Right. Um, but again, now a lot of it's more covered up than anything else. There's not, you're going to find more information about exorcisms of the past than you are of the present. I could, yeah, I could actually see that. But anyway, go ahead. Okay, so yeah, again, we're on the exorcism of Emma Schmidt. Erling, Iowa, a quiet community just shy of 500 people, sits about an hour northeast of Omaha, Nebraska. Much like many Midwestern towns, Erling uh, was built around the railroad. It was plated between 1881 and 1882 when the Chicago, Milwaukee, and St. Paul Railway laid their tracks through the state. However, Unlike many small Midwestern towns, in 1928, it played host to the devil. Okay, that's a hook. Let's that be is honest. a hook. Um, and if you, this is interesting to me because, again, when we're talking about influencing your environment, what is, what is like a, a heavier influence than literally putting transportation ways in these towns where none existed, and previously maybe. 10 people a year would pass through this, this place that we now call Iowa. It definitely would create a liminal atmosphere. Yeah. Like we talk about with hotels or train stations and things like that. Yeah. And the guys over at Penny Royal, I think it was season two in the very beginning, they discussed the idea of roadways and and that sort of thing. But this kind of, I think goes a little bit further than that, especially if we want to talk about the Fae. The, the, the transportation system is not, a ritual or anything like that in and of itself. Yes. I'm talking about the fact that there's so many different emotions and people imprinted on a certain area because they're passing through or like for a hotel example, you can have a hundred people in a month pass through a hotel or if not more. Yeah. That's a hundred different emotions a uh, hundred different types of people, a hundred different experiences, memories, life ev- experiences, everything. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it creates a very chaotic to say the least area in my opinion. No, I would agree. And I know I'm kind of stealing this from supernatural a little bit, the Samuel Colt story, but we are kind of trapping the Fae with these giant iron, Pieces of railway. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not saying that we trapped, you know, the demons in a perfect pentagram in, in Midwestern USA, but no one really knows what Samuel Colt was up to. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Emma Schmidt referred to as Anna Eklund in 1936 Catholic Church sanctioned publication, Satan Be Gone, by Father Carl Vogel, was born in 1882 and grew up in Marathon, Wisconsin. According to a 2003 article in the Council Bluffs, Iowa, which revisited the exorcism. Schmidt's Aunt Mina was uh, reputedly a witch who had been placed as... uh, I can't. She was a witch. Of course she was. Because there has to be a witch in this. Anyway, she was a witch who had placed a spell on some uh, some herbs, which she then placed among the girl's food. 
Whether from the actions of her aunt or some influence, Schmidt's behavior changed. For the record, satanic panic was a thing back then, too. <laughs> and witches traditionally don't do this. Um, a highly religious girl, Schmidt attended the local Catholic church. But by the time she turned 14, she was repulsed by Holy Communion and expressed the desire to attack priests and destroy objects inside the church. I get it. I was 13 once, too. I get it. I remember <laughs> discovering Slayer for the first time. It was down with the patriarchy. <laughs> what was Slayer doing back then? Let's let's figure this out. A straw math. Okay, anyway, uh, her family took her to doctors who could do nothing for her. At that point, they called in Father Theopolis Resigner, or, or Riesinger, R-I-E-S-I-G-N-E-R. If Father Theopolis is coming out, it's over. Let's be honest. GG well played demons. Uh, to perform the rites of exorcism in 1912. Schmidt responded with violence when approached with blessed items and only blessed items. She responded similarly when played or prayed over in Latin. The father discovered the undereducated Schmidt could speak Latin and German. He rationalized this due to the fact that she'd been exposed to these languages in church and in the German subtle Wisconsin community where she lived. But she could also inexplicably speak Hebrew, Polish, and Italian. Okay, you see, that's what's always weird for me when I hear about these exorcisms that were performed is how do they have the knowledge of these languages they should have never been exposed to, never known, never read, especially back then. Like, there's no internet. Like, there's no Duolingo to help you learn another language. But also how much of this could have easily been explained. Fabricated. Yes, but by... He needed to explain away what he was doing by peppering the gumbo a little bit, for lack of a better term here. Yeah. Uh, the priest performed an exorcism, and Schmidt's life went back to somewhat normal. All those year, years later, he later discovered she continued to hear voices no one else could hear. That sounds like schizophrenia. Yeah, it does. Um, however, if Schmidt's behavior was due to an unwanted entity or entities, the exorcism, as some exorcisms go, only sent the creatures inside Schmidt into hiding. In 1928, the devil showed itself in her again. According to Vogel's work, by the time Schmidt turned 40, she was again a devout Catholic. But something had gone wrong. She began to have uh, aversion to the church. Some interior hidden power was interfering with her plans, Vogel wrote. Inner voices spoke to her, compelling her to do acts most disagreeable to her. The poor creature was helpless and secretly was of the opinion that she would become insane. The father arrived in Erling that year to preach at St. Joseph's, Joseph's Parish. There, he asked the local pastor, Reverend Joseph Steiger, if he could bring Schmidt to Erling for an exorcism. The distance from Schmidt's hometown, Reisinger hoped, would keep word from the exorcism from getting out. Steiger and the local bishop agreed, so Reisinger brought Schmidt to the convent of the Franciscan sisters outside of town. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's kind of crazy. They have like an attached newspaper and like they're just describing this exorcism in like public form in extreme detail. Oh my God. 
Uh, Vogel described the exorcism in detail. The woman was placed firmly upon the mattress of an iron bed. Upon the advice of Father Theopolis, her arm sleeves and her dress were tightly bound so as to prevent any devilish tricks. The strongest nuns were selected to assist her in her case, anything might, because uh, in this case, anything might happen. How did, they, how did they choose those nuns? Like, hey, whoever whoever puts 345 up on the yeah, bench, come on. Yeah, deadlift, yeah. Can I you pick up that chapel bench? You're in, Helga. Someone get the holy kettlebells right now. <laughs> anyway, there was a suspicion that the devil might attempt attacking the exorcist during the ceremony. Should anything unusual happen, the nuns were to hold the woman quiet upon her bed. Soon after the prescribed prayers of the church were begun, the woman sank into unconsciousness and remained in that state throughout the period of the exorcism. Her eyes were closed up so tightly that no one could open them. Things changed soon after the exorcism began. Schmidt pulled herself free of the bonds that held her, uh, held her to the bed and then threw off the nuns. Then she began to rise. Her body carried through the air, landed high above the door of the room, and clung to the wall with a tenacious grip. All present were struck with trembling fear. Father Theopolis alone kept his peace. I'm sure he did. I'm sorry. Savior to us all. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. (laughs) I'm sorry. My my apologies. (laughs) The nuns grabbed Schmidt and pulled her, kicking and screaming back down to the bed and tied her fast. Schmidt howled like an animal, her body distorting as she convulsed. She cursed God whenever Reisinger approached her with blessed items. She ate, but refused to eat blessed food. How did she know? Did did you tell her? I feel like they told her. They should have lied. Like, no, no, this is definitely not the body of Christ. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) See you, demon. Uh, Schmidt never saw the blessing take place. She simply knew what food was blessed and what was not. Okay. Oh. All right. Get out of my head, Mr. Mysterious Universe. Uh, after a period of refusing food, Schmidt expelled copious amounts of unusually foul-smelling green vomit, according to the Daily Nonpareli. Voices came from the woman's chest claiming they were demons that possessed Schmidt. The entities threatened the priest and the nuns. Schmidt's body twisted and convulsed as she was tied to the iron bed frame, becoming light enough to levitate on occasion and swelling to become heavy enough to bend the metal frame on others. The entities possessing Schmidt eventually lost their purchase. Their voices howled, Beelzebub, Judas, Jacob, Mina, until they finally fell silent. The exorcism was a success. Schmidt resumed her life and returned to the church. The exorcism lasted 23 days. They had a woman tied to a bed for 23 days. If you tie anyone to the bed for 23 days and feed them crackers and wine, they are going to 100% submit and say, yep, this worked. (laughs) Satan is no more. (laughs) You tie me to a bed for seven hours without my phone and TikTok, I'm probably going to become a Christian again. (laughs) I'm going to say whatever needs to be said. Don't don't tell the church that. They're going to be knocked on our door. Fair enough. Okay. So I'm going to throw this to Jesse, both for the paranormal last story and in the first story for cryptids as well, if that sounds agreeable to you. That's good. Okay, let's see what Jesse has to say. Hey, Bob and Brittany, this is Jesse. Uh, Thanks a lot for reaching out. I sent you guys a bunch of links, and I apologize that um, on the paranormal stuff, I I thought I found some of my older websites I used to frequent to get information, but they're really basic and really weak information. I'm really disappointed about that. 
So um, there was uh, two separate things. We have the Holy Cross Cemetery, which is my personal paranormal experience in Anamosa, Iowa. Then you have the uh, Black Angel statue of Oak Grove Cemetery in Iowa City. And that's a really unique story you guys hopefully have covered. But uh, more paranormal stuff in Iowa than um, cryptids and UFOs. There's a lot of you know, baby, you know, baby crime bridges and can uh, ghost hands on you know uh, vehicles and stuff, cool stuff like that. A lot of haunted houses, you know, farmhouses and stuff. So, here's my experience with Holy Cross Cemetery. It's located in Anamosa, Iowa, and the unique thing about it is um, uh, the old Anamosa Penitentiary is located there. And that penitentiary um, is on a bluff. Anamos is kind of along like a river system. It's a small river. I think it's a Cedar Creek or Cedar River. And uh, anyway, it's a lot of bluffs. And uh, <clears throat> this penitentiary sits on that bluff. And the windows of the penitentiary face the cemetery. And th this penitentiary was meant for elderly inmates that were doing life. And uh, it was a self-sustaining penitentiary. Like they slaughter their own hogs and cows, have their own garden. And I'm pretty confident this penitentiary is no longer in use. I think it's just a historical marker. But the thing about the cemetery, it faced the, I mean, the penitentiary faced the cemetery. And it's kind of like saying, okay, this is your, this is your exit in a pine board box. So pretty haunting. But I met this kid who worked with me or for me for a while. And he was moving down to my neck of the woods. And uh, he's no longer with us, unfortunately. But uh, he asked, had, uh, hey, I'm moving down here to work for you. Could you um, help me move my stuff down? <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, I'll give you a tour up there. I said, oh, that'd be cool. So we go to, you know, go to his stuff. We go to Anamosa and uh, go to the cemetery. And we had, like, I think we went to a, a bar and grill first to get some lunch. And then we um, went to the cemetery afterwards. I remember... It was eerie going in there like it just felt busy. Not scary, it felt busy. Now the cemetery is kind of like on a hillside and I remember driving our truck up the hillside and the reason we're going up the hillside, there's like this hanging tree in the back. You say, oh, I'll show you the hanging tree. I'm like, oh, great. So I, we get on top of the hill and there's this little red oak, young. It's uh, surrounded by these garden pavers. And then he goes, I say, is that it? He goes, no, 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 that's not it. It's back here. So I start walking back in the woods and I'm like, I don't know this guy very well, hoping I'm not gonna get mugged or anything. But uh, we walk through the woods, it's not very far in, and there's this gigantic white oak. We would call it a wolf oak where I'm at. And wolf oaks are not a species, it's a type of tree, like how the tree grew. And usually they're like short, stout trunk with a big white canopy. And um, that's a type of tree, not a species, okay? But this is a white oak. But the thing about the white oak was it looked black. Now there are black oaks, but they have a totally different bark look and they definitely are more of a darker color. Now this is a white oak because this has its own bark style and bark look, but this was black. And he showed me the branch that they hang people with. And this branch is scarred over. You can see the scratch marks from the fucking rope. And um, I was like, wow. I remember for some reason, I put my hand on the, the trunk of this tree. 
And I felt like this energy come over me, but it was very, very subtle. And I felt like I was in a fishbowl. Not a trance, but just like I felt guided. And we got back in the truck and drove down a ways and we stopped and I just got out and we just started going from gravestone to gravestone. And you slowly just start getting this brief glimpses into these people's lives and some that are still lost looking for the next answer. Never saw any apparitions, just got emotions. And then I got to this one statue, and the statue's really famous, and the part that bothers me the most is there's no information on the statue anymore. Now, eight years ago, if this podcast was going on, I, I could have gave you the link immediately, but it's gone. I can't find it, and I'm sorry. That's so what I was really disappointed. There's a, there's a lot of lore in the statue. If you Google hard enough, you'll find the picture of the statue. It's a woman kneeling, and she's looking, overlooking the cemetery and the, the valley or holler that uh, Anna Moses lays in. And I remember I just sat down next to the statue, and the best way to describe it is just a peaceful grieving. Grieving with whatever the statue represented. And um, it really saddens me because I know there's a lot of history behind this statue, but I don't know what it is anymore. It really saddens me because I know there's a lot more depth to it. And after that, we got up and went home. But that was my most, that was a profound paranormal experience that wasn't dark nor light. It was just different. And it was just um, a, a whole new respect for that world. So that's my paranormal story about Animosa. And I will send you guys my Windigo encounter. Well, not really encounter, more like potentially, potentially. Something I heard in the woods a couple times. That was very eerie. But we'll see if you guys want to play that for another day. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for looking to Iowa. Appreciate it. Well, first off, <laughs> Jesse, we're playing the Wendigo story now. So <laughs> let's go ahead and get that out of the way. No, I do find it interesting that you you have such an emotional attachment to the history of this place. And that's something that Brittany and I, we we understand that first and foremost. It's one of those things that, we, we, we love the paranormal. We love the UFO stuff. We love every, we, we love it, but there's a special place in our hearts for, like you said, eight years ago, you could have found the link same day, had all the history. What we would love this podcast to be, if not anything else is a place an archive people can go to find the history of these locations and what happened and why they were important and who these people were. That's kind of where my brain is. So I understand the frustration because like, when I found out the Shadowlands is it still exists, but all the old archives, all the old stuff from 2006, 2007, 2005, all that's really gone now. And they kind of, I don't know if they have like a new web host or what, but they condensed all of it into like a single paragraph per location. I understand the frustration because back in the day at Lockington Dam, there was someone who came on from the, the local Native American Historical Society. And they put the entire history of Native Americans, the land, uh, what they did there, why the, why that lock was important specifically before the dam was built, and all that's gone now. I have no, I've looked for books, I've looked for information. It doesn't really exist in the way that it was produced by someone who belonged to that tribe and whose great-grandfather lived off that land. So I, I understand the, uh, the frustration behind the history, and I definitely appreciate the story. 
Well, with how vast the internet is and infinite, I do feel like over the last couple of years, especially diving into topics that are not necessarily even that old, just early 2000s, information has gotten more and more scarce. How some of the topics that we look into that we've already covered, we can't find the same articles that we read. We can't find some of the same information that we found. Yeah. I mean, it's weird how much information gets lost to the algorithm. Well, it's also because your boys over at CERN turn on the Hadron Collider and we jump timelines. I mean. <laughs> I actually like like almost blame you specifically for this. So thank you for doing that. Uh, you're welcome. Sincerely from Science Mama. Yeah. All right. So let's hear uh, Jesse's potential Wendigo encounter. Then I'm going to throw it to Mama Science for cryptids. Let's do it. Good morning, Bob and Brittany. Thought I'd share my uh, potential... I'm going to call it a Wendigo encounter, but I'm not really sure that's what it was. Um, it's kind of just a vague uh, statement for really strange uh, mimicry of sounds in the woods, pretty much. And real quick, uh, I was listening to an older podcast with Bob, and he made a comment saying, uh, I think it was to do Mexico High Strangeness, and he made a comment saying, I used to call them Wendigos, and I laugh because I, my favorite game is Warcraft 3 and the dark spear troll units you could control every now and then one of their things would say wendigo so i'm like it just made me chuckles my god i wonder that's where they got that phrase from so anyway so the first encounter i had was in 2020 on my farm in van buren county iowa and i remember it was in august I went down to my farm after work to check out my sunflower plot and uh, there's there's something to look at and I'm, I'm really a passionate dove hunter and that's a big part of dove season is sunflowers. So I got down there and I think I was dinking around doing some other stuff and the sun started to set. I'm like, well, I better go home, but I'm, I'm watching the sunset over my, my dove plot that rests on top of the hill. And to the north, I have a neighbor who has a bunch of hounds. They, he's got 30 or 40 hounds. They're all very well taken care of, but he's got a lot. And they're all barking. And then this sound came from the east, because these dogs are the northwest of where I'm at. And it, it was a bark, but it sounded fake. It was like this really bad mechanical fake bark. Like it didn't sound natural. It, imagine, you know, like a robotic dog, like, you know, 90s kids had. And I never had one of those, but the commercials and stuff, you know. Imagine that, but deep and guttural. It was so profound, the hounds went quiet. And that was it. And I remember the hairs on my neck stood up, and I'm like, I think it's time for me to go home. <laughs> so that was a really peculiar encounter. The second one I had... Um, took place earlier in 2021 uh, is around January. We had a really warm winter and uh, we had brief periods. It got really cold, but they warm up again. We had one week. It was like in the seventies, like for a day. It was awesome. But at night you'd have, it would snow during the day and then it would start to warm up for some reason at night and then the snow would melt, make like this mist, you know? One night, it was I think the night I heard this sound, it was like kind of sprinkling, but it was like in the 50s, it was misty. You're like, wow, this is crazy. 
in Iowa in the wintertime, it, it's a very bipolar state, you know, it's just, it's never happy. It's got to make everyone's life miserable. <clears throat> There's only like a few weeks out of the whole year. It's actually happy once you enjoy weather. <laughs> there are times you're just like, I hate it. <laughs> it's not so much the weather changes. It's the dramatic, inconsistent weather changes. That bothers me the most. But anyway, so I'm taking my dog out. It's like 1030. And I live in the country my, where I live at now. Um, it's on a relatively very well-used highway. And I got a couple neighbors. One of them is my in-laws. And I got two across the street. And uh, for the most part, they're really quiet, you know, no loud music, no, they're just good, hardworking guys. So I take the dog out, it's 1030, I'm here like sprinkling, you know, like it's just kind of dribbling in the air, it's misty, it's, it's that warm, cool feeling, you know, in the 50s. And I started hearing this radio chatter, not like a radio just playing, but it's like static, as you guys have described, in between the channels, right? So I'm listening and I just the static starts getting a little bit louder and it sounds like it's coming from the woods across the street and I'm thinking to myself did my neighbors leave a radio on but they never I mean I've been out there I'm almost out there every night I never hear a radio and like did they leave a radio on but it just was so eerie that I hear this this you know, and you can hear like chatter, but it was like inconsistent chatter coming from the woods. And I got a little freaked out. I'm like, all right, look up, let's uh, let's go back inside, which is my dog. Now, as I'm sharing this, I have one more encounter I encountered when I was 17, so it's a long time ago. Now, I don't know what this was either, but I was home alone. My parents would work two weeks out of state and I'd be left by myself and uh, I was a teenager, pretty responsible, so it wasn't like I was going to burn the house down. But, you know, I lived in the middle of the woods in southeast Iowa, and I loved my farm, but at night, we had these big-ass windows, and you just were expecting something to be staring back at you, you know? But anyway, um, it was just me and my dog. It was a golden retriever named Gunner, and I was dead asleep. It's like middle of summertime, like July or August. And I woke up to this god-awful roar. It just sounded like a lion and a wolf all at once. Like this deep guttural roar and this long howl at the end. And I remember, which by the way, we don't we have we have coyotes, but they don't make that sound. Coyotes are like, you know, they do their cackling chatter, yippee noises, you know. And I'm just laying there in my bed going, what the fuck was that? So all I have is a Cricket 22. I put a 22 in the tra chamber and I go out in the garage <clears throat> where my dog slept and he's just in his kennel and the kennel door's open. He's just looking at me going, what the hell was that, buddy? And I'm like, I don't know, buddy. And so the garage door's open, like the roll-up door's open. And I just look in the dark and I pop around off like that's gonna do anything. And I somehow went back to bed after that. But that was terrifying because it sounded like it was right out my freaking window. And again, my house is surrounded by cedar trees. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. He's in woods, and I'm like, geez, I'm. So I don't know that you call that Wendigo or Wendigo, excuse me. Now, Bob's got me saying it, damn it. <laughs> but uh, it was a very peculiar encounter, and uh, I'm not sure what those things were. What do you guys think? Throw the whole house away. Uh, throw all my away. <laughs> the we whole gotta, state. We got to start over. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I can't be here for this. <laughs> no, so I, I love the hound inclusion. So I think I've, I don't know how much I've said about this on the, on the show, but growing up, I raised. You talked about it a few yeah, times. So I, I raised hounds growing up. When adult hounds suddenly shut up, there's a predator nearby. There's no, no one will convince me otherwise about this because I've seen it. And I've seen it on multiple occasions. Um, you went hunting with hounds multiple yeah. times. The the number one thing that stands out to me is I remember my old my old hound, Silas. We had Silas, we had Baxter. Baxter was my dad's uh, black and tan that he, he had broke from someone else and the guy never paid him. So my dad being my dad just kept Baxter. It's like, hey, if you're not going to pay me, this is now my dog. I don't agree with that, but that that's neither here nor there. We were out hunting uh, near Indian Lake here in Ohio. And these hounds, when I, when I tell you they are extremely well-trained, I, I mean, gunshots go off, they don't even jump type of well-trained. Well, all of a sudden we were sitting in the back of a blind and Silas stands up. Now, Silas was this big old dog. I'm going to say he was 600 pounds because I don't remember how big he was. And, and it, the story changes every time I tell the story, but he's, he's he, it was like 200 pounds. He was huge, like purebred 150 at least. Yeah. Well, at least 150 pounds. Well, he stands up and his tail goes straight as a board. And then Baxter stands up tail goes straight as a board. They start to kind of growl a little bit, a little bit of like low grade vibrations. We don't see anything. We don't hear anything. Nothing about, I don't know, four or five minutes later, about seven or eight coyotes come around the bend and they just stared right at, right at these two hounds. So hounds can see and hear way better than human beings can. So 40 hounds suddenly shut up. And I know from experience, that's impossible. If, that is an impossible feat. Once one hound gets going, they're all going. And, th- <laughs> and then it's a, I can scream longer and louder than you can <laughs> watch me. <laughs> and they will continue. And people, I know some people are going to say, well, that's not good training. Try and shut a hound up. When they get excited, please <laughs> just, just go anywhere. AKC registered purebred dynasty breed one at a show. When they get excited, please try and shut them up. You're not doing it. <laughs> so that that's interesting. And then I think the radio chatter, I remember you reached out to me, Jesse, about this. And for some reason, this, that strikes more of a UFO chord with me. And it I, does for I, me too. I don't know if it's because of the obvious, the technology, right? But I do there's something about radio static in the woods and it 
Maybe this is a fire in the sky connection with Travis Walton. There's some story that I'm familiar with about radio static in the woods with a, a UFO, UFO encounter. Yeah. I remember the th- same thing. Uh, it's like a shared memory. I wonder if it was another state we did that had that encounter. Yeah. I vaguely, like I said, I vaguely remember that. So thanks for sending in that story, Jesse. I, I, the problem with mimicry is we hear about this in paranormal UFO stories, MIB, Men in Black, cryptids. Cryptids make this. You have the Wendigo. Then you. Then we also have. If we're talking old witchcraft, if we're talking Mexico. Uh, they, you know, they have the belief of owls, which is with owls, and they make the hooing noises, and then the mimics, and then if we go uh, across the pond the other way into the deserts. Um, that they have certain belief systems about these mimics in the caves over there. So it's one of the things that, for one, it has to be something because it. It's every continent has a similar story. They just, they lend, they lend credence to what's causing it to something different. Right. So I do believe that mimic noises, and it's something you need to really pay attention to um, just in general, because it's one of those things when you're out in the, out in the great outdoors, you can kind of fall deaf to the, like to the background noise of the forest, right? Like it kind of, you just get used to it. And so it doesn't really... But then all of a sudden, if, if you've been out there for three days. It was like that door creak when we yes, were at that cave. Yes. When something sticks out and you know it's not right, just go. If your gut says to go, just go. And the other thing that this reminds me of, are you familiar with the uh, the uncontacted or the lost tribes in the Amazon? Yes. So there was a story that someone told on Rogan where this guy was out camping and he said the one thing, he was in the Amazon, I don't know what he was doing, but he said the thing you have to you have to be really careful of is when you hear noises that aren't noises. And Joe's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I heard, you know, this certain kind of bird, but it didn't sound like that kind of bird. And then it happened again with another type of bird and then another animal and then this and that. And then all of a sudden I started seeing the whites of eyes off in the darkness. Well, what it is, is that these tribes are using this to get close to people camping in the Amazon to attack them. And so this guy ends up like army crawling like four miles down into the water and swimming away. Like, cause, cause he said he would rather like get bitten and eaten by a crocodile than what, what could potentially happen to him with these uncontacted tribes. Oh my God. And that, that whenever I hear the, it sounded like this, but not like this, the hairs on my arms stand up. Cause it's like, well, what, what could that be? And we talk about the bad hillbillies, these, uh, these groups in rural Appalachia that have been living off the land, the Appalachian trail has plenty of stories like this, where they heard us, they heard a sound. And then suddenly this guy comes out of nowhere and is asking, Hey, what are you doing here? No, you don't sleep here. You need to go up this way to sleep. And then they end up talking to somebody and like, Oh no, we, no one should have been here for hours. We you know this wasn't, that wasn't a person you talked to. Okay. Well then what the hell was it? <laughs> please explain this to me. So I know you've got a couple cryptid stories for us. It's kind of hard to top Jesse here. I probably should have put him last. Uh, Cause you have boots on the ground in Iowa. That's true. Inside note real fast. When Jesse's talking, just think American pickers, please. Cause I didn't know people from Iowa had an accent. Oh, they do. Until I heard Jesse talking. I'm like, man, this sounds like, I think it's, I think it's Mike Wolf from American pickers. That's who Jesse sounds like. He really does. He really I'm, does. I'm, an, I'm, I'm never old, not going to see that anymore. Yep, I'm an old man. And that's where my, my brain goes to these history channel shows. Don't get me started on the curse of Oak Island. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> that entire Christmas break when we went down to new Orleans and you only watched. Look, I'm an old man. If <laughs> the I, curse if, of Oak Island. If, if I'm in a hotel room, it's either twilight or it's old man history channel. There's no, <laughs> no in, there's between. no in between for me. 
All right. So I'm going to start us out with the Iowa Dragons. Dragons, you say? Dragons. Did you see that post? I, I don't want to interrupt again, but that post that was shared in uh, our Facebook group of the the dragon caught on the, tra- the trail cam or the, no. No, the dinosaur. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. I commented. I'm like, I'm like, please God, let this be real. The only thing that could possibly save our planet is Jurassic park. <laughs> it, it's this viral trail cam, but it just shows a, a dinosaur. It looks like a freaking Raptor. Oh my God. And look, I, I have over a hundred hours in arc. I'm very good at, you know, I know how to, t- I will I, tame those dragons I, what, No, I, or those, I, those dinosaurs. I can look at the dinosaur and tell you what it is. <laughs> I, I have to look at the guide to tame it but I can tell you what it is. Definitely a raptor in North Carolina. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. A number of Burlington, Iowa residents have reported seeing several Iowa dragons flying over their city in recent years. Two witnesses described it as brown skinned with long, with a long snake like body and a 15 foot bat like wings. Its head was shaped like a seahorse and it had a skinny tail flowing behind it. They watched the dragon slither through the air until it flew high up into the night sky. So uh, one of the first sightings of of this dragon was in 1887. The Bedford Times Independent, Bedford, Iowa, on August 11th, 1887, reported that a man named Lee Corder encountered a flying serpent. I mean, I believe him. Writhing and twisting with protruding eyes and a forked tongue. Great scales, which glistened in the sunlight, covered its huge body, which appeared to be flat and nearly a foot in width. The beast seemed to fly and land with a thud in Mr. Cordor's cornfield. He watched in awe and astonishment, and eventually the dragon returned to the sky. That's, that's Jeepers aw- Creepers. That's awesome. It's Jeepers Creepers. No, it's he wasn't a dragon. You can't keep... Do you see the wings on that thing? Yeah, you can't keep making this story scarier. <laughs> You're just furthering your like your your fear of Jeepers Creepers. I hate Jeepers Creepers. I no, hate it with a passion. I fully do believe that we had dragon like. I sound freaking crazy. You do. I fully believe though. At, at some point in our history, history of the world, I'm part of the universe now. This is how this works. That dragons of some sort did exist. I say this solely because this goes back like hundreds of thousands of years. Humans were writing about these giant things flying in the sky, flying in the sky, serpents. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's the I mean, we know about the Chinese Lunar New Year, but they have histories that go back, you know, millennia almost. And it's absolutely insane to me that you hear about these caves with dragons that far away, and then that's dragons are still a very like prominent part of our history now when it comes to like uh, entertainment mythology and yeah. entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the house of dragon, I think was like the number one show on HBO when it came out. Like yeah. people still have an interest in dragons. And I think it's like in our, our DNA. Cause we know that you we're know, dragon riders. Okay. I'm never talking to you guys again. <laughs> I, I was trying to make like a really heartfelt point and you're like, okay, you're Aragon. <laughs> Take your lunch and go home. <laughs> okay. I'm just uh, continue, please. In October 19 or 1890, Independence, Iowa was home to several reports of a monster with wings, a monstrous head with horns, a mouth like an alligator, and uh, the creature also appeared in uh, the color green and was also covered in scales. Okay. That's just a dinosaur. <laughs> okay, well this is a recent this is a recent sighting. Okay. One witness named simply Megan claimed that in 2005, she and her husband witnessed a flying dragon 
while driving on the streets of Burlington in the middle of the night. Okay, first off, your parents hate you if if your first name is Simply. Let's just be honest here. Okay, that was not her name. Her name was Megan. No, you said it was Simply Megan. Megan's her last name. (laughs) Describing a 10-foot-long snake-like creature with bat-like wings and the head similar to a seahorse. See, that's interesting because it does echo the initial sighting from 1897 or what have you. 1887. 87. Uh, I also, there's a comment on this. And again, take this with a grain of salt, all internet. But I live in Iowa too. This is from someone named Zeus in in Grand Mound. We see dragons like that all the time. Okay, so we have the God of Thunder and we have a woman whose first name is Just. And that's our sample size. For modern dragons. <laughs> You're devolving more and more as this conversation goes on. Look, you slighted me on dragons. I'm going to be like this the rest of the episode. <laughs> okay. They normally come in uh, around harvest time when the moon is really big and red. They often take cows from my neighbor's pasture. I have, I myself have spotted these dragons six different times. Once in a group of three. Once I saw a large blue one with four wings. Otherwise, they look like the ones you described. Interesting. Four wings. I find the moon phase very interesting as yeah, well. Well, it makes me wonder if, if you know, because I mean, first off, the Harvest Moon video games, but the Harvest Moon, the legend of the Harvest Moon in general, has this supernatural background. Rather it be werewolves, if we're talking, um, what, would, what was it? The Norway, the Norway werewolves at har- during the Harvest Moon. Um, you have the giant sea serpent. I don't remember where that was from, but there's like three or four different creatures that are all Legend associated. Zelda. Okay. No, <laughs> there's like three or four like mythical creatures that are all associated with the harvest moon. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of interesting. We might have to go out to Iowa here in a week or two during harvest. No, <laughs> Jesse, I'm coming to stay with you. Get the room ready. I'll you have, know what to do. Give me the 22. I got this. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think you got one more, right? No, I got a couple more. Oh, okay. So the next one that we're going to talk about is the Van Meter Visitor. And I think you'll like this one a lot. Is it a dragon? <laughs> it's a it's a dragon. No, I'm kidding. It's a winged creature with a glowing horn that caused terror in an Iowa town 110 years ago. Say that one more time. A winged creature with a glowing horn that caused terror. It's a dragon. No. We just discussed this, this story. looks like Mothman. Mothman with a horn. <laughs> yeah. Somehow that's scarier, but does he have that booty though? A bizarre legend, an unsolved mystery, which has haunted a small Iowa town for more than a hundred years is the Van Meter Visitor. For several nights in 1903, the small town of Van Meter, Iowa, was terrorized by a giant bat-like creature that emerged from an old abandoned mine. Um, I'm all in. This is real. The identity of this monster has never been discovered, but over 100 years later, the people are still talking about it. The legend dates back to the fall of 1903 when several of Van Meter's most well-respected citizens reported a half-human, half-animal with an enormous, with enormous smooth bat wings flying about. The creature is described at moving at speeds the town folk had never witnessed before. Plus, it let off a powerful stench and shot a blinding light from its horned head. So it's a, it has a magic horn? 
Each time the townsfolk encountered the creature, they fired their guns at it, but it appeared to have no impact at all on the creature. On the first night, it was spotted flying across the building tops. The next evening, it was spotted by both the town doctor and a bank cashier, Peter Dunn, who took a plaster cast of its great three-toed tracks. Is this available anywhere? The third, I have pictures here. You want to see it? On the third night, a man spotted it perched atop a telephone pole. Another resident who saw it described it the monster as hopping around like a kangaroo, while a local high school teacher likened it to a devil. Of course. Scared and angered by what they had witnessed, the townsfolk followed the creature to an abandoned coal mine near an old brickyard where they heard a noise from the mine. uh, Presently, the noise opened up again, as though Satan and the regiment of imps were coming forth for battle. Reads an article from the Desmondi Daily News from October 3rd, 1903. Okay, so explain this to me for a second. Where'd this thing go? How do we get him back? Does anyone... Where did Mothman go? Okay, we know where Mothman went. <laughs> Wait, I'm confused. Where did Mothman go? That's for another episode, but I have coordinates. <laughs> okay. he's, he's at Indrid Gold's house. <laughs> okay. No, this isn't... Why have I never... So it's... It, it, the, remind me, the Van Meter... Visitor. Visitor. Or monster, but man, Van we're, Meter... We're going with visitor, because that... He's that a gentleman. sounds awesome. <laughs> he doesn't just show up whenever. He, he lets you know, hey... Debbie, coming over, might do some spooking. <laughs> 6 p.m. work. I don't know who this is, click. And then he just shows up. So it's like, yes, yeah, he's kind of an uninvited guest, but also it's not like he just like. He's it's well-mannered. Like, it's like you had no idea he was coming. He did give you a heads up. He just didn't. He's just kind of a jerk about it. <laughs> okay. okay. So, but, so is he attacking people or is he just flying around and blinding them with his horn? He is flying around. He's sitting off a blinding light. And when he's shot at, it appears to not affect him at all. Okay. Well, look, I, no disrespect to people from Iowa. How good a shot are they really? I mean, do we know? Jesse would probably have a very strong argument against that. I'm not saying I can outshoot Jesse. I'm not saying I could. I'm saying you could. <laughs> no, 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 that's fair. Actually, that is awesome. And I, there's an, there is this like portion of realism with these stories because you have to, you have to, you do have to think about the time it took place. Where back then these stories weren't instantly just like nonsense, and people were looking at the sky. I believe that they took a shot at this thing. Like it's very believable. Now, if this was in Sydney, Ohio in 2023 and like, oh, yeah, the whole town got together and shot at Mothman. No, you didn't. You'd be calling the police. First off, you guys are on meth. Second off, that didn't happen. But I do believe with, you know, I mean, again, we have to think about the time period. Your communities are a lot more tight knit. It's like if this came out of a holler in 2023, I believe it. I believe that Brittany called up Brittany and she called Brother Brittany, and they all came together. <laughs> they all came together and just laid that arsenal into Mothman's behind. I believe it. <laughs> no, it's I love the coal mine because again, it just it goes back to that underground, scary, cavernous style that we associate with monsters. And again, is that just folklore coming alive? I I, well, I don't know. Well, one thing we're not talking about here is that one, it was never seen again, just so I can wrap that up. But two, the stench. Why is there a stench in almost 
uh, in a lot of different cryptids that we cover, mainly yeah. Bigfoot. Skunk, I will say mainly Sasquatch. Skunk ape as well. Well, uh, the Rougarou. It's a the skunk ape is an umbrella of okay, Bigfoot. Don't don't insult the skunk ape. He's his <laughs> but own this, independent no, monster. No, but the stench. There is a stench to these yeah. cryptids that it's garbage. Is is musty, otherworldly, like gross, hor- like horrendous. Like it's the worst thing that they've ever smelled. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So, uh, I mean, Mothman was never described as having a stench like that, but still, a flying creature that has seemingly nothing in common with Bigfoot also has this ungodly stench. Why are they stinking? Someone make <laughs> cryptids shampoo. We need to send it in, in droves down these abandoned mine shafts. Why are they stinking? Shirts coming October 2023. <laughs> That's perfect, actually. Uh, let me know if you guys would be interested in a why are they stinking t-shirt. <laughs> F- Florida <laughs> Florida skunk, skunk ape. ape, Bigfoot, and then the, the this Van Meter, Meter visitor. visitor. Let me know if you guys want a why are they stinking t-shirt because we can do a limited run like we did last year That'd be good. We can make this happen. Anyways. So the next one I want to talk about is going to be the Lockridge monster. And this one's just going to be like a pretty short one, but I definitely wanted to touch on this because like we've talked about before, there's almost always a Sasquatch like creature that's unique to each state. So this one is the Sasquatch of Iowa, which is again, the Lockridge monster. And it was the name given to a Sasquatch found in Jefferson County, Iowa, in the fall of 1975. Okay, so like relatively recent in uh, in regards to like cryptid lore. Correct. So a uh, Mr. and Mrs. Herb Pfeiffer reported the sighting during that time, and they had numerous inquiries about it. And uh, two other residents also reported seeing this creature. One said it had an ape-like face, and this was the description that was given for it. It stands up on two feet, walks like a man, covered in hair, and has ape-like has an ape-like face. It's been known to kill chickens, rabbits, raccoons, pigs, turkeys, and sometimes cows. Okay, so we have like a violent Sasquatch, and and the reason some people can say, oh well, no, duh, but a lot of these cases, the Sasquatch really doesn't are like almost vegetarians in yeah. some cases and they're, they're very passive. Yeah. And we've told stories in the past of like the, the Kentucky Sasquatch basically protecting goats and stuff on the side of these mountains. So it's very interesting to hear lucky land casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A dynamic. One, like, attacking people, yeah. Yeah, it mutilates the bodies, often not eating all of the kill. The monster's tracks were found near four mutilated turkeys, half-eaten. Gloria Olson of Lockridge spotted the creature while cruising past an old abandoned farmyard after dark. She knew immediately that it was not a bear. Describing the creature, Olson said it had a monkey's face and a body covered in hair, typical of a Sasquatch. It's generally described as a bear with an ape-like face, uh, other than a Bigfoot, and it's also about 10 inches smaller than the size of a tip- typical Sasquatch footprint. Oh, I'm sorry. 
the foot size is 10 inches, and that is smaller than the typical Oh, okay. Big well, I was foot. about to say, how, how big are regular Bigfoot yeah. prints then? Yeah, it's 10 inches, which is smaller than the size of a typical Sasquatch footprint. And it's seemingly more carnivorous than a regular Bigfoot. And it's around five feet tall. So this is a shorter one. Interesting. But yeah, that's exactly what we were talking about that at the end, that a lot of the Bigfoots we talk about are passive, are almost yeah. vegetarian, like they live off plants and things like that. So, or seemingly so, they don't attack other animals. Yeah. So this one's a little aggressive. Very interesting. Okay. But that's all I got for cryptids. Okay, well, let's dive into UFOs here. I have a report from the UFO Center. And this just says, a friend and I were leaning uh, against my vehicle during the night at approximately 9 p.m. While conversating, we looked up and there was an object about the size of a car with two lights, not white and not blue, but something in between. So probably like an LED. That's what of, it sounds yeah. like, like a halo-like light. Yeah. Um, it moved in a way I'd never seen before. The object was about 150 yards from us and was moving forward and backwards very quick leaving a faint light streak as it moved backward and forward. The distance that it was covering from its back and forward mov uh, movement was about 10 to 20 yards. Okay, so it's not moving like super erratically, but it is moving, so it, it's hovering. Yeah. So that, that's kind of important. Um, it made this back and forward motion for, for about five seconds and came to a point where it didn't stop as it was going forward. It flew from Seneca Street, uh, where we were towards the east side of Storm Lake. During this time, there was no noise made from the object. It was very quiet and without any engine noise. We lost it as it took off maybe one minute or less. Later, two jets flew over through the same spot the object was at. It seemed as if though they had been chasing it. We both got scared and my friend went into his house and I drove back to mine. I will never forget this day. Since then, I've seen two more objects above Storm Lake in a span of 15 years. Since that day, I often look up and wonder... See, that, that, that strikes me as believable solely because the fighter jets chasing after the object is something we keep, we're, we're hearing more and more in scrambling, modern times. Yeah, scrambling the fighter jets and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, so this was posted uh, 8-25 of last year. So I don't really know when the, like the initial account uh, occurred, but it sounds like it's ramping up in activity if, you, if he's seen it a few more times afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I want to point out here is these hovering crafts. That really isn't something we were hearing a lot about previously. And now it seems like these hovering crafts that are kind of like self, like they're aware that you're watching them and they put on this little show. See, that seems to be rising. See, I don't think so. I think, I think there's more, there were, used to be more activity of hovering crafts because you had a lot of, cattle mutilation sightings where the craft was hovering over the field. You had a lot of um, crop circles. Well, not only crop circles, but uh, the Betty and Barney Hill, their whole encounter, it was stationary. It was hovering. And then it started chasing them. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. You make a fair point. I, I guess maybe I'm just, I'm noticing it more often, more frequently. Right. And we're talking about more recent cases recently too. So yeah. And I'm a little upset I had one here that was, uh, the alien abduction exposed.com alien abduction story in pregnancy in Iowa. But at some point between like last year and now it's been taken down at the request of the author. <laughs> so okay. I don't, maybe they like, they, they, they really got into full motherhood swing and they were fine with it. I don't know, but unfortunately I can't tell that story. So I've got one more I want to cover before we throw it back over to Jesse to close out the show. 
A motorist in Iowa was left mystified when he glanced out of his window and spotted an odd glowing orb hovering in the night sky. The strange sighting reportedly occurred this past Tuesday evening as witness Jacob Farrell was driving through the city of Des Moines. He said it was like an eyeball-looking UFO. I don't know what to make of it. Fortunately, Farrell had the uh, wherewithal to capture some sighting on his cell phone. It was kind of just hovering there in the sky and just standing still. It was just too weird. So when you go, there's no video attached because, of course, there's not. I did a little bit of research on this eyeball-shaped UFO. It, okay, I saw this one, actually. Did you? Yeah, it, I'm going to be honest here. To me, it almost looked like uh, he had, he had like, drops on his window. It looked like a, re- a refraction of a, of a drop through okay. the window. So here's the interesting thing, though. There's another person on the other side of Des Moines who has a similar video that he took through his telescope. The problem is through the telescope, it, it gives it this anamorphic effect where the light just kind of like makes it super blurry and stretches a little bit. Yeah. But it does kind of look like an eyeball to me when I looked at the video. Okay. And, and what's odd about it is there's times where the light kind of diminishes and I don't know if it's because my brain is already thinking eyeball, but it looks like it's blinking. <laughs> I'll have to relook at the video then. And again, it could just be, you know, my brain is associating associating with eyeballs. And so when the light goes out, it looks like it's blinking, but it is kind of weird. And so I went down this like eyeball rabbit hole. That's been a thing that Iowa has been experiencing since like the early 2000s, like right around Y2K was the first one I could find. And it's this consistent eyeball like shape. And almost all the videos are taken from inside of a car during a rainstorm, which per Jesse's conversation, that seems to be very common in Iowa. So it makes me wonder, is this a, a UFO or do we got to put our debunking hats on? And is this some kind of a weather phenomenon? Well, I'll tell you what it is, Bob. Okay. It's the moon blinking at you because it's mad that the sun forgot it's blinky. Yeah, we're, right? not, we're not, we're never, no, I'm just we're kidding. never no. going back to this arc. <laughs> but no, uh, when I was doing some research for UFOs, because we didn't know who was going to cover it. Yeah. Um, there's actually a lot of MUFON activity out in Iowa, too, because that's one of the first things that I saw doing research was a lot of uh, MUFON activity, a lot of reports being released about Iowa. Yeah. So it seems like there's there may not be like the famous Iowa sighting for UFOs that at least I couldn't find. Um, but there's a, a a lot of quantity yeah. in, in Iowa there's, when it comes to these sightings. There's definitely no shortage. And the other thing that's interesting is there seems to be a lot more people in Iowa that put stock into UFOs. They believe that this kind of thing is happening. And again, I I honestly do believe that because of something as simple as it's accepted to believe it, that you're going to have more sightings because more people will come forward because they don't have that fear of ridicule or being the, uh, the town kook because they believe in UFOs and they think they saw strange lights in the sky. Well, if Iowa is anything like Kansas too, because Kansas is all farmland, you know, one thing we talked about in your, Quickly uh, decreasing sanity as we were driving through Kansas. Yeah, my quickly developed hatred for Kansas. (laughs) Was the fact that if we saw something in the sky out there, you can see everything for miles and miles and miles and miles in Kansas. And so if we saw anything in the sky out there, it almost would be more credible. Yeah. Because you can see everything. There's nothing obstructing your view. There's no mountains. There's no trees. Light there's... pollution's at like an all-time minimum. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. So if there's anything like that in Iowa, which from what I've seen, it does look pretty similar. Yeah. Um, they're probably going to hate on me for comparing Iowa to Kansas. But 
you know, it, it, it would be in the same boat, in my opinion. No, I would agree with that. All right, so let's throw it to Jesse, because again, you know, he has to close this out for us and hear his UFO encounter. Let's do it. Hey, Bob. Hey, Brittany. Hope you're both doing good. Bob, I hope your foot's doing better and uh, hope that your guys' health is getting better. I've been on the mend a couple times this winter already and I'm over it. So, but hey. By the way, this was when my foot overnight for some reason broke itself. I completely forgot about that. That, that, we was, li- a, that was a weird arc. Um, <laughs> we have some weird stuff. The fact that we forgot about that, like normally that's a, a huge like moment in someone's life where your foot just like breaks itself overnight and we yeah. just completely forgot about it. Yeah. And for, we those, fun. for those who might be new to the show. So what happened was uh, I, I wasn't working out hard or anything. I wasn't actually doing much physical activity. I went to bed one night completely fine. I wake up the next morning. My foot is extremely swollen. It's bruised. It's, it's dark colored. And I physically could not walk. Like I was crawling around the house. No we idea. almost had to move our bed downstairs. Yeah, no idea what happened. It didn't match the symptoms of gout. It was like close to gout, but not gout. And then the bruising. And the more like I would move on it, you know, I've had broken bones before. It felt like a break in my foot. And as soon as it like came, it just went away. Yeah, literally it was like five days later. I want to say your foot just miraculously healed itself and yeah. you were fine. Yeah, and again, I'm not saying it was it was ghosts, but it was probably ghosts. I, I ghosted <laughs> my foot and I had to do cocaine about it. I, I don't do cocaine. That was the problem. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt, Jesse. Let's let's uh, let's continue. Yeah, I wanted to share some UFO stories real quick. Um, had a crazy time there in February, and Bob was part of that little saga of mine. So I thought I'd share on the podcast. So my first uh, UFO experience, and I'm not sure these were even UFOs, some kind of anomaly in the night sky. I mean, it's hard to say. It was uh, February 3rd. I went out to dump my coffee grounds. It was between 9.30, 10 p.m. And I happened to look up to the northwest and I saw a ball of light in the sky. And I really thought it was a star or a planet. And I was thinking, man, what planet's over there? It's, you know, Jupiter and Venus were to the west and Mars was to the south at that time of year. I thought, huh. And I saw these two airplanes underneath it coming towards each other, but running parallel to each other. So they're heading towards each other, but they're going to miss. No sign of collision. So I went to dump my coffee grounds. And I looked back up. The thing, the light's gone. I go, well, that's weird. That's really weird. So the next night, it's a relatively nice February evening. Uh, it's around 10 o'clock at night, and it's it's nice. I take my dog for a walk around our uh, lot when it's uh, warm. And uh, I'm just enjoying the evening or the night. And also, there's a huge flash. And the next thing I hear was just, thought, what the hell was that? I let Bob know. And then he sends me a TikTok video of somewhere else in the world. The exact same thing was happening. It's like, well, that's strange. Then the next night, February 5th, I was at my mom and stepdad's house with my wife and daughter, and we're heading back, uh, heading west to our house, again, quarter to 10, roughly. And I look up, you can definitely see Jupiter in the, the western sky, but then there's this, like, slightly oblong, slightly green, luminescent light. And I thought, is that another plant? What is that? And I'm just driving. I'm kind of, my heart's going to race. I'm like, what is that? It does not look right. So I get home, I get my wife and daughter inside, I'm going to go outside and check it out. I get out there, that light is gone. Jupiter's there, prior as can be, 
and that light is gone in my whole world. That was a very profound experience and it really freaked me out. It really, it just shattered my reality. It just did. And it was so intense. I started getting sick. Like my stomach started hurting and I was just freaking out to Bob. Like, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. And you know, my wife's looking at me. I go back inside and my wife's looking at me. She goes, what is wrong with you? You freak. Okay, I have to pause really fast because if you listen really close, you can hear that Jesse's in the middle of the woods somewhere while he's recording this. <laughs> I, I started looking around like, is there a bird in the studio? <laughs> no, it, it's it's Jesse just out there living, just living the life <laughs> and, and revisiting ground zero of his UFO encounters. Oh my gosh. All right, let's continue. And... um I can't tell you. She's, but what, what? What's going on? And I told her, and she just gets quiet. She goes, okay, that's what you saw. That's what you saw. I don't know why you're freaking out so bad. I'm like, do you understand that That this totally just shattered my reality? I mean, I've always had an understanding. Maybe there's aliens. Maybe there's UFOs. Um, and I've started slowly accepting the fact that they probably, there's something else out there besides us. Not because I'm trying to be narrow-minded, but I'll be honest with you, I was terrified of UFO shows when I was a kid, of people being abducted. It just really freaked me out. The idea of gray aliens being in your bedroom at night, you can't do anything about it, really scared me. And I thought, well, maybe this is like, you know, propaganda. Maybe it's just, a, it's all fake for TV, you know, to comfort my own ego. And, you know, I see this and I'm like, oh my God, some other ship. And then the last one I saw, I was a lot more calmer because, you know, it took me like a few days to kind of recover from that. Just trying to go on your daily life going, I just saw a freaking light in the sky and disappeared. What the hell does that mean? Really psyched me out. But a week later, I'm driving. It's around, oh, I don't know, 7.30, 7 o'clock, 7.30, I think at night. And uh, I'm driving home and I've been texting Bob and I see in the night sky, there's a red light off in the horizon. And this time I'm like, all right, there's crap out there. I'm going to do a quick little video. And I, I sent a little video to Bob. Um, he pulled over and filmed in this little red light. I validated it. it was not our cell phone towers. We have several cell phone towers off on the horizon. You can see very easily. These were not the cell phone towers. And it was not Venus because Venus was up with Jupiter. And it was definitely not Mars because I think Mars at this time was even out of getting really close to being out of eyesight or at a certain times of the night you could see it. So this is his own thing. And when I got inside, got my family pizza and I got to wash my hands, that light was gone because I could see it from our kitchen window uh, looking to the west easily. And then I went back up to the kitchen window to wash my hands. That's where our sink's at. Light's gone. So those are my experiences. And it could have been government stuff. Could have been drone hell. Could be our brothers and sisters from another dimension or, you know, galaxy checking us out. I have no idea, but that's what I saw. We'll catch you guys later. Okay, so first off, I want to applaud Jesse. For it's a mothership. Yes, yes. I want to make fun of him, but I also want to applaud him here. That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah you, you were losing it over there. <laughs> but I, I do want to throw it out. It's very important to do what Jesse did in this situation. He, he went out of his way to rule out every single explainable instance of what this could have been. Cell phone towers, where the planets in, in, in correlation with their current... Uh, revolution around the planet but it also shows to his credentials to being a witness to ufo phenomenon because of how observant he is to his surroundings exactly. on a day-to-day -day basis yeah and that's something that's incredibly critical and when i'm looking at which cases do we discuss on the show those are big points of interest that i look at because they don't have to be well i was abducted and the grays came in my bedroom it's 
I, I'm a, a hunter. I'm a farmer. I'm a, a conservationist. I live in this area. My life is in this area. I'm constantly outside. I know what doesn't belong. And I know that this didn't belong. I'm going to be much more inclined to believe that over the, the routine abduction. So, and I, I hate saying the term routine abduction, but, <laughs> but you know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah. So kudos to Jesse. And, and I really appreciate all of his help in this episode. This is, we're, we're bringing this back every other week is the plan. Brittany, when are we putting up the poll? We will put up the poll, not this Friday, but next Friday. Okay. And then it'll be on until Sunday. And then uh, we'll have a post for who wins on Monday. And I would just like to remind everyone. Make California 50th. 51st. 51st. Because we did Colorado twice. Uh, Oh, God. (laughs) We're we're good at this, I promise. (laughs) We're professionals. But yes, that's what I wanted to remind everyone of is our unified hatred for uh, California and making sure that it, it is the 51st state. Yeah. And all, all, all we have to remember here is Matthew Bird broke the treaty. That's with, right. With, with Joey Bailey. Yeah. So I'm not calling him out specifically, but I'm saying we are calling you out. You Matthew. are horrible, Matthew. You <laughs> broke the treaty. No. <laughs> but with that being said, Miss Brittany, unless there's anything else you'd like to add, I do not. I think we're going to have to add this episode of United Strangest of America, Iowa edition, to our never ending, but our always growing. Tales from the Dark.